Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. <sighs> okay. Just going to shake my hands out a little here. Just going to take a couple deep breaths and thought we might, if you're okay with it, talk about and how to deal with anxiety when it comes to running games. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, let's, let's take a deep breath in. Let it out. And cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts who has on and off bouts of anxiety that leave him hiding under the covers in his bed. My name is Phil. <laughs> and I am your other host, Senda. I am also an anxious bean. Um, and I've definitely had my own moments of both anxiety in life and uh, anxiety about running games. Sure. For sure. My, right. my anxiety for running games is far less than like other life anxieties that like often force me to like go take a nap to calm down. Um, but I would be lying if I didn't say that from time to time I have definitely had my share of anxieties uh, while um, running games. Well, that and but I'm going to point something else out. You've been running games for so long. Yes. For so long, right? That like a lot of the anxiety of like newness or I haven't done this before has largely worn off just because it's so comfortable because you've been doing it for so long, right? <laughs> there comes a period where you start to feel like an expert in something. And mm -hmm. like, even when you're kind of... Uh, in a place where you haven't been before, you're like, well, I have a yeah. lot of expertise to draw on. I'll I'm probably good. be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah. takes a little while to get there. So just it to does. be clear, yes, that's part of that as a practice thing. Anyway, so just a quick announcement before we get started, which is that um, there will be no show next week on October the 14th, and we will be back to our regular recording schedule after that. And of course, we're going to start hitting the holiday season. We'll try and let you know as we get into all of the mix-ups and goofs uh, that will come with Thanksgiving and Christmas. But for right now... No show on October the 14th. Hey, and, sorry, go ahead. Tell us, tell us about how we got to this point. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to do a quick reminder of the original message that we got from Axel that started this two-part uh, bit that we're doing here. Um, this is the trimmed down version, which uh, from last week, you can hear the entire message. But this is the part that I think is currently pertinent. So Axel said, I'd already reserve... So Axel said, I'd already observed this before, but hearing Senda talk about it made me realize that this is exactly what happens to me on game night. So thanks a lot for that revelation. I just realized I cut out the bit that actually told you what they were talking about, which was recall and anxiety about recall at the table. 
And then they continued, at the moment, I'm running a, a series of short published adventures, which thanks to your help, I know how to connect. It's a lot of fun, but at the table, I do feel anxious most of the time. Anxious to forget things, anxious to find the right words, anxious to inject the right atmosphere into my descriptions, anxious to portray the, the NPCs in a memorable fashion. This anxiety means that I'm really tense before game night and pretty exhausted the days after. So we're going to continue from last week and we're going to talk about um, anxiety about around running games with a focus towards some of the improv games, right? But a lot of these anxieties and their solutions are applicable no matter what kind of game you are playing. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, So we have a few reminders to kind of get everybody back up to speed. And then we're going to jump into some anxieties and we're going to like face them head on. So I'm going to do, um, I'll do the first reminder and then I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, the first reminder is, and we talked about this uh, two weeks ago in our previous episode, the improv scale, right? So improv versus prep, these are not binary. You don't either run a game improv or you run a game prepped, it is a sliding scale. You can um, you can do on the full prep side, like at a prep 10, I don't know, arbitrary one to 10 kind of thing, right? Sure. At like a 10, you could prep every little thing for every detail and every little thing of your game and just run what you've written. Um, you will probably be pretty tired and it will be also pretty difficult to keep everybody to doing what you have written. Um, or you can turn that dial or slider all the way down to one and show up with nothing. Show up literally at the table with zero ideas um, and just start playing a game. But the truth is, rarely do we ever run a game at a 10 or a one, right? Even Senda's two things on a post-it note constitutes more than showing up with nothing, right? And, you know, my average prep lands somewhere at a four to five in terms of prep to improv. I like to have a certain amount prepped and then I am leave myself flexible enough to improv other things and, you know, handle changes as they come kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm, I land it probably like a two or three generally. Sure. So depend, three. So yeah. depending on your personal preference, depending on your group, uh, because a group that um, if you're going to go heavy improv, you have to have a group who can also keep up with heavy improv, right? Mm-hmm. So based on you, your group and the game you are playing, you will you can calibrate that scale where it works best for you. Um in you know across those kind of axes so for instance my knight's black agents game had a higher degree of prep than say my um ox game because ox has some problems i need to detail but i don't really have to worry about too much knight's black agents requires a certain management of clues plots conspiracies things like that it runs a little bit higher on the prep just a little bit higher and it also makes a difference if you're running a one shot versus a campaign, right? Absolutely. Because a one shot, you really can sit down with one or two ideas and just run the whole time. But like a campaign, you actually need to thread all that stuff together. Yeah. And if I'm running a PBTA game, I'm running it closer to improv than yeah. to prep. And if I'm running um, something like my Cyberpunk Red, I'm running a little bit closer to more prep than less prep um, yeah. just because of the game. All right. So that's our first reminder is that 
as we talk about improv, as we talk about prep, like styles, just remember that there is like no one. We're not Sith here. There are no absolutes, right? We are going to be <laughs> dealing in the two to nine range based on your preferences. OK, what is the other reminder that we want to just remind people of as we start to uh, wade into um, the the cold, scary waters of anxieties? <laughs> yeah. This is this is a thing that I don't think people always talk about, but all gaming is improv, right? Yes. We're not mind readers. Um, nearly all TTRPGs have some degree of improv included in them, unless you are truly removing all choice from your players and forcing them down the one path, which, you know, you could do, but it has kind of a bad rap. Um, it's not usually a whole lot of fun. We yeah. like to say, just write a book, right? If you don't Correct. want, if you don't want players to be able to make choices, write yeah, a book. just just write a book. Although, based on talking to my author friends, I feel like that still may not always work out <laughs> because <laughs> characters have a mind of their own. Anyway, um, as the GM, we can know things about how the story should or could go what might be in all the rooms or all of the different places of this location. We could know the stats or description and plans for all the NPCs that we expect that they might run into. We can prep all of that stuff. What we can't know is what the players will do when they touch the game, right? And that's, that's like part of the fun of doing it, for me at least. Um, is that moment of surprise. So the play of the game, there's always going to be some level of improv because you never know what happens when the players hit it. Uh, the best laid plans of GMs and mice um, oft gan aglay when the players touch them. I don't know. No, I mean, the, like I mean look, <laughs> the, very, the very matter of combat is an exercise in improv. Yeah. Like, you don't know which creatures are going to be up, which are going to be down. Yeah, right. Who's going to hit? Who's not going to hit? Like, yeah, everything has an element of randomization. And that's we 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 do that with intention so that we don't know exactly what will happen. So there's a reason we're telling you this, right? There's a reason we're reminding of you of you reminding you of this in the umbrella of anxieties. Yeah. Which is that. You are already doing some amount of improv, even if it doesn't feel like it, or even if you are specifically anxious about doing improv, you are already doing that when you run a game right now, whenever there's something that you didn't plan for because someone rolled a dice or they went a different, turned a different direction than you thought they might, whatever that is, you're already doing improv and you already have some of that skill happening. So it's just about learning to hone it, to implement it in other parts of the game as well. Yes. In other words, you're soaking in it. And yeah. <laughs> if you understand that that uh, TV commercial reference, you should schedule your colonoscopy. OK, I I OK, I don't. Yes, that is an old TV commercial <laughs> reference. But to okay. make the to make your point. Sure. You don't if you are experiencing a general anxiety about, boy, I don't know if I can improv a game. The the matter of fact is you kind of are improving probably about 30 to 40 percent of your game 
anyway. Yeah. What we're going to talk about is your anxiety about improving a, a slightly larger chunk and a different area of the game. And the good part is that's smaller than just I'm embarking on improv. You've always been improving. You're just going to improv in a couple different other places. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. We had to talk about anxieties now because that's what we're here to talk about. So using Axel's email, taking in some comments from both Alice and DreamUp, as well as tapping into our own anxieties, which is um, we kept specifically just to game related Yes. anxieties um, we, <laughs> otherwise we couldn't possibly fit oh this in boy. a show Jeez. fear of electrical outlets <laughs> um, like fear that i've left you know the oven on will burn the whole house down like there's yep. a whole bunch of extra yeah. all right limiting to just game related anxieties <laughs> and broadening them into some kind of wider buckets we have compiled a small list of anxieties we'll talk about why you might have them um, how to mitigate them, that is, how to lessen them. And we will talk about contingencies, what to do when they occur, right? Yes. Because it's nice to, it is nice when it comes to anxieties to be like, oh, I can do these things to mitigate them. But it feels even better if you know what to do when you run into them. Like when yes. your anxiety becomes confirmed. Right. When you're like, well, here I am. This this moment that I was so concerned would happen. It has just happened. What do I do? Correct. Because yeah. one of the things that we will say, right? And again, by our disclaimer, neither one of us is a licensed therapist or psychologist. Um, but uh, we've been to a bunch of therapy. So I'm going to speak only from our places. Sure. But this is a thing that you and I, I know, both believe in because we have talked about it with each other. And that is, um, if you are feeling an anxiety, it is real, right? We, we're we not going to dismiss any emotions here. If you are feeling an anxiety, even if the reality is you're perfectly prepared for it or easily can handle it, having the anxiety is still legitimate, right? It is, yeah. and it is a concern, Right. Go ahead. I saw a thing on TikTok the other day, and this was not where I thought I would bring it up, but it seems like the perfect place to bring it up. So here we go. It was a parent, and I'm a parent, so I get a lot of parent TikTok. But it was also beautiful, and it's this. Emotions are like farts. Um, they hurt you if you don't let them out. <laughs> um, and they're real and they obviously exist in your body and you have to decide what to do with them and when to release them. And some of them are going to make a scene. <laughs> some of them interesting. are going to be silent but deadly. So really, <laughs> I just want everybody to remember that your anxiety is just a fart. <laughs> there you go. An emotional, An emotional fart. fart. A lovely and sentiment. <laughs> yeah. I I have nothing else I can add to that metaphor. It's it is true and yes, it's keep that in mind. And small children who think the farts are hilarious will never forget that you said that. So Correct. take that, take that and do with it as you will. Anyway. So I would like to say that our first, like our first thing here when it comes to anxieties is that we personally never dismiss them, right? They are legitimate. You are concerned about something. And the way that I know for me personally is 
the way I handle them is not to ignore them or dismiss them, but it is to mitigate and have contingencies. Yeah. Right. So what can I do to make the probability that this anxiety will happen less? And what do I do if this if this anxiety manifests to be true? Yes. Okay. So that is our approach. We're not going to tell you like, oh, we'll just run a bunch more games and you won't be anxious anymore. Like there is some truth in that, but that is not how we are going to deal with your anxieties today. We're going to get very specific about them and we're going to be like, okay, well, what if it happens? Let's talk about it because that kind of preparation, um, you know, will make the anxiety, which is always the, oh, I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm really worried about it. You can lessen that feeling by being like, well, okay, if it happens, I have a plan. Yeah. I would even say potentially that our goal here is to give you the confidence, despite being anxious, to be able to practice the thing by doing it a bunch till you, so that you can get to the point where you don't have to be anxious about it anymore. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And again, as you, so I think it's a great point. As you um, encounter these things, right, through practice, when, you know, you have a recall issue at a table and survive it, right? Or when you, you know, don't have a great idea uh, and you, you know, in the middle of an improv thing, you kind of draw a blank um, and you survive it, right? Or you handle it, right? You come up with a thing and you handle it. Those anxieties get littler and littler, right? Anxieties are often based around um, an unknown, Yes. And the more these things get to be known, the less you have to be anxious about them. Exactly. Yeah. So this is this is a series of ideas on how to approach them when they're really anxiety inducing to help you do them more so that they can be less anxiety inducing. And the feeling that you're having them should hint to you that you might need to take some action in a particular area so that you can mitigate it and build some contingencies. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. So we have compiled a small list, broad in uh, definition. So we hope that we will um, just kind of throw a paintbrush over a number of game-related anxieties um, in hopes to help you out. And then if people have specific ones or want us to drill into one of these deeper, we can always do future episodes and we'll tell you at the end how you could tell us to do that. So. Senda, what is our first anxiety? This one is the Senda anxiety. <laughs> um, anxiety about recall issues, plot rules, etc. That mm-hmm. pre-written adventure that you reread over and over again to try and keep it in your head. Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> yes. So what is this fear? Yes, this is the fear that you will forget a clue or a plot point or a rule, etc. during the running of the game, and then it will impact the game later or in yes. that moment. So I, um, one, I have recall issues, not as severe as yours, but two, I have an added anxiety that's put on top of this um, because in college, I was an FM radio DJ And one of the things that was beaten into us as DJs was silence is death, right? Yeah, fear of dead air. (laughs) Well, the idea that after 10 seconds of dead air, most people will tune their radio to another station, right? Yes. So you need to never 
have dead air. And recall issues often result in needing to look something up, which is dead air. So I had like a double fear um, around this because I don't always remember things. But worse, um, I don't want to I also don't want to look things up. Yes. <laughs> so. but, uh, but but I am also like I also fear that like the game screeching to a halt while I spend 10 minutes sure. trying to find something. Right. Like. Oof. OK. Anyway. So why, why might you have, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the questions, okay, you're, you're going to answer the them and then we're going to okay, switch cool. up. Okay, so cool. <laughs> why might you have um, anxiety around recall issues? Um, yeah, I, so for, for me personally, right, I have known recall issues. For me, it's ADHD. Sure. And to get slightly more specific about that, this is an executive function thing. It also impacts my organizational um, function, right, which is a whole, another piece of this, right? But it also means that for me personally, there are ways that I can input information into my brain that make it easier to remember things and ways that I can input information in my brain that are don't stick as well, right? Um, and this is kind of funny because I read a lot. I read a lot of books. I read them all the time. But reading is not one of the ways that specific detailed information sticks itself into my head in a way that I can retrieve it later. It mm -hmm. just isn't. And it's one of the joys of ADHD because like six months later, I can reread a book and be like, oh man, that was so good. I didn't remember any of it, right? I get to rediscover everything for the first time and that's fine. It's great, but it sucks if I'm trying to run a pre-written adventure that I read earlier this week because they did not stay. <laughs> it's not there. Um, I, have a, I have a weird recall issue in that um, if it clears short-term memory. Yeah. I I will get it then back. Like it. I will remember <laughs> it to some extent. Um, but things that are in short-term memory are not guaranteed to make it to mm -hmm. long-term memory for me. Um, so a lot of things like um, you know, a lot of things will just go like like episodes, right? As soon as we because do an episode, podcast I forget episodes it. stay yeah. in the short-term memory and then dump. Do not get translated. Right. Yes. <laughs> Where my recall issue um, hits me the hardest is under pressure. Yeah. So if I am under pressure, my ability to recall things gets worse and worse. I have to maintain a certain level of calm when taking tests in yeah. order to um, keep the recall flowing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So we talked about what it is, how, why you might have it. Let's talk about some ways to mitigate it. And we have a couple different ways when it comes to this one. Yes. Um, so the first one is improv, which is, um, of course, the solution that I personally stumbled into, which is that the less that I have planned on paper, the less I have to remember. I just make it up as I go because, and this gets back to, this gets back to the detail that I introduced earlier, which is that the written word is not the kind of detail that sticks with me in my recall short term or long term, right? But a conversation that we are currently engaged in is, right? Mm -hmm. So when I add a detail at the table, I will remember that detail, at least for the course of the game, right? I won't necessarily remember it three weeks later, whatever. It doesn't matter three weeks later. It matters right now at the table in this game and in this conversation. The written back and forth 
is something that will stick with me through the period of the game where something written on paper will not, right? So improv for me solves this in two ways. Firstly, I'm not trying to remember what's on the paper. I am making it up as I go. Secondly, the things that I do have to remember are things that are being said to me at the table. And hilariously, I will then write the important things down because the act of writing is actually a recall tool for me personally. Um, so it, it hits me twice, right? I get it via audio. Um, and then I write it down. And I know that the only things that are written down are the things that are actually important. So there's very few of them. <laughs> yeah, that's and fair. I'm just going to slide this in right here because it makes sense. So part of the reason I'm getting really specific about this is because um, we actually got a comment that was really accurate from Dream Up on TikTok, um, which was that improvising as a GM is still an exercise, an intense exercise of short-term recollection. And that is absolutely true, right? Because you have to remember everything that you just said, or you got to be jotting notes or whatever it is. Um, but improv solves my recall issues because it changes the input of the information for me from the written consumption to a conversational consumption. And then also resolves it because I'm dealing with short-term recall instead of long-term recall. Um, and I kind of can let it all flow and I don't have to be anxious about remembering the other stuff. So because my anxiety is lower, it also gets easier to remember everything else, as Phil was saying <laughs> about the anxiety levels, right? Exactly. So I just, I wanted to call that out because it's absolutely true. And we've been referring to improv as if it doesn't require recall. Of course it requires recall, but it does require a different kind of recall than being able to search back for stuff that you studied in a more academic written kind of way um, versus stuff that happened at the table um, kind of way. It's a different kind of recall that may or may not work better for you, right? It just depends on like what works for you. Anyway, I wanted to call that out there because that seemed like a really logical place yep. to slip that in. Excellent. Excellent indeed. Um, lastly, there's another um, thing you can do besides prep. Oh, I'm sorry. That was I all haven't improv, even right? finished that. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, that is sorry. Okay. I took, a, I took a little detour. You want to talk sure. about prep? You yeah. can talk about prep. I'll just refer to last um, episode in 330 where I talked about one of the ways to handle recall is to prep your material for recall, not for writing slash reading, right? Yes. So bullets. Um, headers and all that stuff. Go back to go back to episode three thirty. Um, I talk. We talk about it in pretty good length. But that is a way. If you are prepping a game, that is a way to handle your recall issue. Is to make it easy to find and access your information. Yeah, and I think I also added a, a an idea to prep, which is we did talk about in three thirty as well, which is picking games that support the style of play that you want to run for your improv, right? So, like for example, for me, creating a linear mystery can be very difficult. Now I have to remember all the clues mm -hmm. that I have to hand out and where they are and where they have to find them. Um, but I, so I might not run that kind of mystery. But if I wanted to run a mystery, maybe I would run something that was carved in Brindlewood, right? Sure. Um, because that would be would fit for me very well in terms of the kind of recollection that I can do at the table. Um, so the other part of prep would be include when you pick a game system, take this into account, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. 
And then the last piece would be tools at the table, things you can actually use at the table for this. For me, as I said, I also, I do jot notes. So I always have a notebook out. For some reason that works for me. I just talked about how written stuff doesn't work, but the act of writing it in my notebook with, you know, lines and stars and big scribbles or whatever, so that I understand the importance is actually effective for me. And then another idea there too is also script change, um, which is a safety tool, but also a tool just for content management in your game, right? So um, what happens, I'm going to ask you this time, what happens Mm -hmm. if you have a recall issue at the table? For example, since we're just talking about script change, how can you use that as a tool to support you in that moment? Yeah, so think of script change like the buttons on um, a media player. And uh, if you wind up in you wind up with a recall issue in the moment, right, then you can hit pause, be like, hey, let's pause the game for a second. I need to look something up or hey, pause for a second. I just need to check a detail before we keep going. Right. So you have that option. Pause play right to resume play. If you have a recall issue and this is the one that I think even that makes me more worried than forgetting something in the moment is forgetting something later that's important in the future. Yeah. Like, especially if you are playing clue-based games, like traditional mysteries, and you forgot a clue. Yeah. This is a case where you can use the script change rewind button to be like, hey, rewind for a second. When you're in that room, you also, in addition to the things you found, you see this. And then you can hit play and kind of resume play again, right? Or play for a second and then fast forward to current time or whatever, right? Think of it like a media player. Like, don't be afraid to treat your game like a media, like recorded media, right? You can go backwards. Yes. You can, you can rewind back. You can go forward, that kind of thing. So I really like script change for those things. I almost at times, I got to say, I like having it there as a safety tool too, but My script change gets more work at the table as a content editing tool than it does as a safety tool. And I like it for a safety tool, but boy, the ability to be like, and I sometimes do this. You've heard it on Children of the Shroud. Sure have. I will pause the game and be like, hey, as GM to player, can I ask you a thing before we keep going? Great. And then push the play button again. No, the thing that I was going to say about it is that that means it's working exactly as intended because it also means that if there is a safety issue, no one's scared to use it because you're all constantly using it anyway, which means that it is being very, very successful as a safety tool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually quite happy that I have like a set of laminated ones in my uh, in my kit. Okay. So that's the anxiety of recall, right? We're going to forget a thing. So we mitigate, right? We have a couple ways to mitigate it. And then if if something happens, oh, I'm sorry, there is one more thing in case um, it does happen, right? Um, oh, yeah. If you run into this problem where you are having recall issues and it, it's, you know, affecting the game, this is where you can adjust that improv prep scale. Right. And you don't have to adjust it globally like, oh, I'm just going to write 60 percent less of this game. But you can identify parts of the game like I you know what? I don't need to write these things or I absolutely have to write these things down. I'm going to run this game mostly improv, but I have like four scenes that have to happen during the course of this evening. I'm going to put them on a card so that I have them and I'll cross them off as they go kind of thing. 
Or yes. you could be higher on the prep scale and be like, okay, I've got all this stuff, but it's a lot and it's hard to navigate through even with formatting. You know what? I'm going to drop um, NPC descriptions because I'm cool. I'll, I will, I will improv my NPC descriptions or yes. I will drop my combat notes because I actually am tactically good when I play this game and I can handle making up tactical decisions on the fly. Yeah. Whatever okay. it is. So that you mess with that slider. Yes. Okay. And, and adjust it. Right. So if you're having trouble recalling a bunch of things, um, thin out your material to be just the things you need to make sure or change the formatting so that the things you need to remember um, are much higher. For instance, real quick, in OneNote, again, I keep hammering on OneNote, <laughs> but know. in OneNote, there are these little icons that you can attach to uh, lines or paragraphs or even to bullets. And one of them is a star. And so when I don't want to forget a certain element in a scene, I put the little star next to it so that when I am, you know, moving my uh, prep along during the scene, I will see the star, right? Because it, it's sticking out from everything else. And I will be like, oh, yes, that's important. Reread that line or two and make sure it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's also really interesting, right? Because I still tend to do most of, if I write notes down to prep a game, I still actually write them because again, we go back to recall yes. um, and writing works better for me for yep. remembering things than typing. So yeah, for me, works. I can scan and go, Yeah, but, it, but I can't sit there with like two column full paragraph text looking for a sentence. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So let's did that. I think that pretty much wrapped up recall. I end up always talking about that a lot because it's very personal it's to me to you, yeah. <laughs> in my life, just generally. Um, but why don't we go ahead and jump along to anxiety um, about descriptions and dialogue? So I'm going to ask you this time. Um, first, what what is this anxiety? Yep. So this is a fear that your descriptions of locations, of events, of NPCs will um, fall flat. They'll be unimaginative. They, you know, they won't be very good. Um, you know, you'll just say something, but like that character doesn't stick out or you don't, you know, you don't have a really good line to say uh, during a particular, you know, villain monologue or something. Yeah. I mean, villain monologues are sometimes hard to improvise. But anyway, why might you have it? So one of the things is um, we all have a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So we all have a comfort zone that when we are not paying attention to things or if our brain is occupied elsewhere, our comfort zone um, will handle descriptions, right? I know, for instance... Um, if I don't push it, my comfort zone is every day is about 68 degrees in my games, right? I actually have to push weather a bit for me to remember that that's a thing in my games. And I've said that for a long time. I am actually really bad about remembering to do uh, weather. <laughs> I, if failing any other specific um, genre 
my default like descriptions always end up being very anime of some kind of anime drama drama genre sorry not drama like whether it's shoujo or something else right like it's always like if you don't give me a specific other direction or i don't specifically choose a different direction then we're gonna have cherry blossoms and wind in the you know and there's gonna be like the glint of the sword and the sunlight with the eyes and you know i just it's just gonna happen right so we all have comfort zones, right? So we all will, when, and th- this next part plays into this, right? The next part of this is cognitive load, right? It is hard to come up with unique and extra details if your brain is already overclocked managing a bunch of other stuff. So if your brain is working extra hard because you are managing uh, a game that has like really intricate rules or um, really intense combat tactics, or you are fighting recall because your notes aren't optimized for recall or whatever, then your brain is under that cognitive load. And then somebody's like, what does that NPC look like? Well, they have brown hair, brown eyes. They're wearing it like a T-shirt and some slacks, right? Boom, right. Plucked right from your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's tricky um, because like one of the things we fear when we are improving is like, oh, all my NPCs are going to seem kind of samey or uh, I'm not great at dialogue. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say cool things or the right thing when we get into the middle of the game. Yeah. So okay. how do we mitigate this? Sure. So one improv trick I use for specifically for NPCs, but you can also do it for places and things like that, is I will um, pick a person that I know from somewhere else in my life and I will use what they look like to describe my NPC, either mannerisms, actual physical looks, et cetera, personality or whatever Um, happened to me the other day. Uh, just last week, I was playing in a Call of Cthulhu game, a one-shot Call of Cthulhu game for Chris on Chris's birthday and handed out cards and I uh, handed out the characters and I got the marine biologist um, for this game. And I was like, what am I going to do with this character? And then I was like, oh, I will pattern them after my advisor in mm-hmm. college who was a botanist, not a marine biologist. But I even gave the character the last name of my professor and use that to uh, pull what they looked like, you know, what their beard looked like, their personality, that kind of thing. And drew all of that from a memory that I had tucked away safely, like in something in long term. But I didn't have to like assemble something from parts like I just pulled from something I knew. Yeah. All right. And I and I can do that. Like if you had to describe a diner, like think of your favorite diner. What is like what does it look like? What do the countertops look like? What are the what does the flatware look like? Is it that thin metal flatware that's like there's nothing fancy about it whatsoever? The plates are probably those, you know, plain white stone, you, you know, um, those plain white plates, you, know, you can hear the sound of it when it hits the table, right? You just pull from those things, you know, um, and just, you know, you can uh, change them up a little to make them fit what you're doing. Yeah. 
And then the other thing I would say from an improv thing is like, when in doubt, lean into your genre tropes. Yes. Right. When in doubt, you know, when in doubt, you know, in a, you know, in a mob game, what does a mobster look like? Sure. Pull some stereotypes, pull some genre conventions. It'll be okay. Right. It'll get you through for your next beat. Yes. Okay. From a prep perspective, right, on the prep side of this, um, if you're worried about your descriptions and things like that, uh, check out Chris um, Chris's article on Gnome Stew recently just called the uh, NPC Creator Checklist. It's a really nice little checklist of items that will help you kind of pull together an NPC that you could drop in your prep but not so detailed that everything about them is known. What it really winds up being is it winds up being this nice little block for you to improv off of. Yeah, it's perfect. So I really like, I really like, I, I really like Chris's specific template. And I've actually like put it into all of my games after he came up with it. Yeah. And it's been really helpful um, for doing that. So, and you get, and it's like, again, it's like one of those four or five prep things where uh, I've written some stuff down. But it's pretty short. And once I read it, I can kind of assemble the rest of the character in my head. It's a prompt, not not a yeah. detailed series of like little props, like little yeah. micro props. Yeah. Uh, and then I, from a tool side. Right. So we have improv. We have prep from a tool side. You're going to mitigate this fear um, with things like NPC cards, books and things like that. Now, let me just before we exit out of this section, when it comes to dialogue, right? Um, if you have to have a really detailed dialogue, like you're not monologuing just to make fun of the players, but you are monologuing because you have to like give important clues and things like that. This yeah. is a case where prepping it really yes. like just add a little prep to your game. Even if you have like one extra index card that is like the NPC's monologue, you don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point they're going to get a chance to do this. And when they do, you kind of like slide the card out and like read through. Here it is. It, right. Yep. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. When it comes to just having good lines, Chris's template, which I think is based off of, um, Jason Cordova's template, you can add a section for it to have a line of dialogue, like a, a typical line or, or a like important line. And that you can put in there to kind of give you focus on like maybe the way they speak, like they're sharp and cutting or um, they're verbose or they're very to the point. You can put one of those quotes in there to kind of help set your brain to where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really helpful too. And what do you do when when you are struggling with descriptions or dialogue at the table. Yeah, this is where we go. And we talked about this, I think, in the last episode, source your table. Yeah. Right? It is, you are not always, you do not always have to be responsible for coming up with something that is really descriptive and things like that. You can source the table by using some leading questions and be like, hey, so um, what about this diner uh, lets you know that uh, it's been or it's changed hands like it's changed owners a few times yeah or like, like yeah yeah punt that right to the players and make them and make them give it back to you yeah what is this diner known for what yeah. is their special yeah right? yeah that what, everybody comes to here yeah to it's eat. like a, it's an open face meatloaf sandwich right <laughs> yeah Cool. Yeah. So the source, the table is a great way when you feel like your description isn't really getting you there or like you're like, I don't know, you can source the table for some pieces or a whole description. Yeah. 
and it's cool. fun. We should maybe talk about leading questions again sometime. Our our episode on that is actually really, really oh, old. A, re- now. a Redux episode. It's so it's like three years we old. Could do a, we could, we do, could a do a Redux, Redux episode. episode. Absolutely. Anyway, we should keep flying through these because we keep actually going. have three of them left. Um, keep going. So let's oh, jump it's my turn. Yep. into the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Anxiety of being outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, this one is, I think, a, it's pretty broad, but it's for me, this was the worst one when it came to improv. Like yeah. this is the one, this is the one that every time I thought I was going to improv a game and I didn't, or I wanted to run a game that was like heavy improv and then I wound up not running the game, Mountain Witch. This is the <laughs> one, um, this is the one that killed me was being outside of my comfort zone. So in retrospect, this is also the one that used to kill me before I discovered that improvising games was my comfort zone, right? I just didn't know that I had a comfort zone when I was feeling it, which is So what is this fear? Yeah, this is the fear of running a a game in a way that is different from how you normally run your games or how you are actually comfortable. Like what is the comfort place of running the games? The thing, the way to run games that is easy for you. Um, For example... Phil running an improv game when he had typically run pretty heavily prepped games. 15 years ago. Yes. Right. 15 years ago, that was absolutely 100% my problem. Okay. Why might you have it? (laughs) Um, Change can be difficult, right? I I don't know if anybody just loves change for the sake of change, especially when you do feel really comfortable or confident in the thing that you are already doing. And then you're like, I'm going to change it. Ah, Okay. Well, so comfort zones are just that. They're comfortable, right? And it means that because you are comfortable in that space and you've maybe done it a lot or it just comes easily to you, the cognitive load of doing it is less, The ang- which makes the anxiety less. Um, your brain isn't having to um, really focus on some of the stuff that it's doing. So you have more available cognitive uh, load space, um, RAM to just tackle capacity. some of the other stuff. Capacity. Thank you. Is the word that I was looking for. You get to put a bunch of things on autopilot so that you can put your focus on the stuff that maybe requires more focus because it doesn't come naturally or you haven't practiced it as much. I will speculate hmm. that this is the reason why some people only play one system. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense to me because having invested a lot of time in making it your comfort zone and being able to make a bunch of that stuff autopilot, the concept of changing that is very intimidating. Yes. I know yeah. I, that was true for me because I know you grew up playing a lot of games, but I didn't. I played yes. <laughs> three, three, five and Pathfinder for like 15 years before I ever touched another game. Yeah, I, I almost immediately started playing different games. So for me, it was a very different feeling. But that is why I speculate a lot of it, people are one system. It was folk. very challenging for me to get to the point where I felt like it was worth it to experience the stress of change mm-hmm. to be able to experience other games. And it required a lot of input from actual play podcasts and stuff for me to start seeing that as less anxiety producing because I had a little on ramp, right? Yeah. And if that, you want to taste, that might be a whole other conversation. <laughs> nope, it's fine. If you want a taste of the anxiety of being outside your comfort zone, um, would imagine, let me just give you the scenario. Imagine that your preferred email client or and or service provider was I'm, discontinued I'm in already three days. I'm right? about this right now. I already feel terrible. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> why, right? Why, why would you 
would you make me try to imagine this scenario? The change that would be involved, right? The things that you are so used to being, mm-hmm. you know, for granted now having to figure out and handle and do again, right? As anxiety uh, inducing and Really quick, I will reference this because you and I both live in this in our professional lives. But this is where changing software generates so much anxiety. So much overhead. My just- office recently changed over our ticketing and project management platform. And the emotion, the tension in the office has been running high for two months because we are all outside of our comfort zone trying to find our way back into a comfort zone. Okay. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Comfort zone is a real thing and knocking yourself out of the comfort zone um, is a real thing. And and some people, there are some people who love it or are very comfortable with it. And there are some people who are like, do not make me step over this boundary. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How then can we mitigate this when it comes to running games? Yeah, I think um, coming at it from the perspective of improv being the step out of the comfort zone. Sure, sure. um, Or even in reverse, right? For me, if I suddenly needed to prep something more, right? You don't have to jump into the deep end of running a game like that, right? You can um, mess with your scale a little bit. You can turn it up, turn it down like a little bit at a time, right? You can either put more sections into your prep that you are like, here are the prompts. This is going to be improv. I could write more of an outline that said, um, I'm not going to tell myself exactly what this looks like, but these are the scenes that I need to hit. Right. Yep. Um, or like, these are the sentences that need to be said, whatever it is, right? Like I could give myself more of an outline. Um, so you just, you can slide that little slider around and you can just tick it a little bit more, right? Consecutively towards the direction you're trying to move to. If you're a prep folk, you can just improv a scene. Yeah. In the middle of your game. You can just, you can write everything else. And then you can just be like, when the players go to the ball, Ad lib this. this. I actually have that in my notes from time to time. In my notes, I will have like some very specific prep things. And then there's occasionally where it'll just be like, um, when, when the players reach the ball, ad lib what happens here. It doesn't just say stuff in capital letters. No, stuff (laughs) means I have to go back and write it. (laughs) We will attempt to tell you that story in the bamboo lounge. Okay. Um, All right. So that's one, that's one way to mitigate it. What's the other way to mitigate it? Um, try this stuff out with friends, with people that you trust, right, at your table so that it is less anxiety producing because you don't feel like you will be as judged if it doesn't work out perfectly the first time. Talk about anxiety and perfectionism. Boy, again, that's a whole other conversation that we could have. And- <laughs> I did not improv a game with strangers until I had improv a bunch of games with friends. Right. I... Am, uh, okay, well, I, I have more stories I'll tell about the first times I improv games, but I really did just like leap right in. Anyway, um, set expectations with the folks you're playing for, right? You can say to people, hey, look, I want to make this change because I'm spending too much time prepping, or I want to make this change because I feel like um, for me to effectively run campaigns, my improvised um, one shots are not giving me the follow through that I need. Whatever that is, right? You can set the expectations and say, I'm going to start trying to change this, right? I'm going to change it up a little bit 
And it's going to take me a little while to get into that groove as I make those adjustments. And um, I just need you to kind of work with me or be gentle with me or whatever that is, or I'm really anxious about making this change. So if you can just be supportive as I do it, whatever that means for you and your table, so that they have the expectation, this is a change you're making, you might not be super comfortable, it might not be super smooth the first time you do it, whatever that means. And then everybody can be like, cool, that seemed like it worked pretty well. And I know that you're going to get better at it as, as you practice or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. happens there, right. And then yep. that is the next point, which is that this is one of those times that practice is how you create a comfort zone, right, by doing it um, over and over and hopefully by having the tools to mitigate the anxiety enough that it is um, okay for you to engage in it over and over again and to slide it up slowly so that you don't have to jump into the fire directly right um, but the other thing to remember about practice is that you don't have to necessarily only do it at the table so if there are more comfortable ways to do it um, you can totally do it that way you can practice outside the game. You can practice by yourself in the shower. I don't care. Maybe there are other people in your house who might think that you've lost your marbles because you're in the shower screaming a, a monologue um, for your villain, whatever it is. But, you know. definitely done it. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Um, and if improv is the thing, this won't work for me because it's an opposite thing, right? But if improv is the thing, I always have to talk about improv for gamers because it gives you the opportunity to practice the improv skills without it having the commitment and pressure of being an ongoing right now game, right? That you're in the middle of that you have to make work because everybody's sitting at the table. You can sit down and you can just play fun, silly little games that will make you giggle with people that you like and you will be practicing the art of thinking on your feet in that way, right? Yep. Yep. All right. What happens? What happens if it, what happens if it occurs? What happens if you fall outside your comfort zone and suddenly you're just like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Right. So you can always pause and take a break, right? We mm -hmm. say this about a bunch of other things or like when people suddenly go a different direction, you know, whatever it is, this is the same thing, right? It's okay to pause and take a break. Whether that's saying, hey guys, let's just take a quick bio break or whether you just really straight up and I am a fan of just being really transparent. So for me, this is very much a thing where I'd say, hey, I just got a little lost in my prep or I am not 100% sure what happens next. Um, let's take a 15, give me just a second to figure this out and then we'll come back, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can tell them, you can say, hey, I've been improvising this whole game and it's not in my comfort zone and I'm not quite sure where we go from here. How are we feeling about this so far? And what do you guys think happens next? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can also, if you want to just kind of charge batteries real quick, just, you know, if... This one comes with this one comes with two edges, right? Mm. You can ask them how the game's going, right? Yeah, um, on the assumption that they'll tell you good things and then make you yeah, feel better about it, it. Yeah, like hopefully they're gonna hopefully they'll pump you up, right? Mm -hmm. Give you a little, you know, uh, give you a little hype to make you feel better, so you can always, you know, get a little hype from from your table as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, what happens, what? especially if we're go ahead? I'm gonna ask you: Do we need to break this into part three? I don't know. We have like two of them. Do you want to just, yeah. Okay. Should we just fly through them? We'll go real quick. So. We'll let's go try. really quick. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. So All let's right. talk about the next one then. Yeah. What happens <laughs> yeah. when suddenly you don't know what to say you next? You don't know. 
what happens? What happens when you don't know what happens? You're the GM. You're supposed to always know what happens. Anyway, good. Yeah. What is it? Sure. It's the fear that in the moment you will not be able to come up with a thing that you need, be it a description, a plot point, what happens next, a move, whatever. Like all of a sudden, there's nothing in your frontal lobe. Smooth brain. <laughs> yeah. Just it could it's likely just temporary, but boom, like just you're Nothing. like some the somebody asks like, hey, what is the what does the NPC look like? And you're like, uh, mm, uh, a person. OK, they look yes. like a person. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Why might that happen? Yeah, well, um, sometimes our brain just fails to make a connection or match to a pattern in mm-hmm. that exact moment. Right. Sometimes we miss Right. Like that's it. Sometimes it's just a a temporary fail to connect with something because that's what improv is. Right. It's about making connections. Um, It's about putting things out, recalling things back, playing off of other people's things. And sometimes your brain can't find a piece. Right. Mm -hmm. In the great game of Uno, you need to draw a card. Yes. Right. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. You have no card to play. Mm -hmm. You're stuck and you need to draw a card. Okay. Um, So. It happens sometimes when you fail to make a match. It happens when you are tired. Mm-hmm. If your brain is tired and you are doing a lot of improv, it, it is not going to perform as well, right? When you are doing a lot of improv, your brain is performing, right? It's doing a lot of calculations on the fly. If you are racked with anxiety, you will also draw a blank, right? Um, by the way, if we haven't mentioned this or you haven't put it together, some of these anxieties overlap with each other yes. and start messing with <laughs> start each other. messing with each other, yeah. yeah. Comorbid anxieties. Exactly, which makes it way worse. Um, <laughs> high cognitive load is the other reason. If you are managing a whole bunch of stuff, like a bunch of mechanics, tactics, whatever, and then somebody's like, you know, is there a barrel in this room? And you're like, uh, right. Like you don't even know because like your brain can't hold another thought. Right. So any combination of those and worse if they start to pile up. Right. So like the first one we talked about failed to make a connection. That's a random event, but fatigue, anxiety, high cognitive load, these things will make the chance of that failure to connect higher. Yes. Yeah. So how do you mitigate Sure. For that. So before the game, right, um, ingest some media, mm-hmm. right? Like just, you know, read through your book or, you know, check out something that also matches that genre because that helps kind of feed your head, right? Get good sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not one who has good sleep habits, but I frequently nap before my game night, mm-hmm. right? Just to like, just to charge my batteries. Yeah. And also, this is a con thing, especially Make sure that you have eaten food. Yes. Right? Like take care of your physical body so that your brain is working at peak efficiency that you can accomplish for that day. Make sure you have fed yourself. Water. <laughs> Water. If you have racked up a couple food. of conditions before you try to run this game, you're yeah. just making it harder for yourself. Yes. If you are hungry, tired, <laughs> thirsty, it's going to be more challenging. Yeah. Um, during the game, right? The way you mitigate this during the game is... Um, because you can't fall asleep during the game. Um, (laughs) The best thing you can do is reduce your cognitive load, right? So if you have to farm some stuff up to prep so that you can take it out of your brain, that's one thing. Uh, You might want to just have some tools to help uh, handle some of the things that you don't want to have to do. You can farm different roles um, to the table. Like maybe you don't have to set up 
the uh, miniatures or take them down or whatever, hand them off to somebody else. Or if you're doing Savage Worlds, somebody else shuffle the deck and, and hand out cards. Like you don't have to be responsible for every aspect of the game. The more that you farm off and the lower that cognitive load, the better you've freed up your chances of making those connections. Yeah. And then the last important question, what hap- What do you do? What happens if it happens at the table? Yeah, this is another one where you just source the table, right? Can't think of a thing, make them do it. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And often- They and have often, great ideas. Yeah, often they will come up with something really cool and you'll be able to play off of it. In fact, a lot of, in my- personal experience when I farm a question at the table and I get an answer back the thing that happens next I will be able to play off of yes and come up with something even cooler than if I just answered it myself yes even if you just ask them like if you have a prepped game and you know that x has to happen right you have to cross the street so if even if what you ask them is what's the coolest way that you could cross the street they will still yep. have ideas, right? Yeah. Creativity is easier in collaboration in a vacuum. It can be very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, even when I don't have anxiety about this or even when I don't draw a blank, sometimes I just source I the just table. do it because it's better yeah. together. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a thing. So yeah, when like the best thing you can do when you draw a blank is kick it right to the table. Yes. And everybody else will help you as well. Yeah. Farm cool. out those brains again. You're, you're, you're bursting into the cloud, right? Yes. Yes. Use the cloud compute. You are not stuck only in your local machine. Right. You can burst into the cloud, which is your player's cognitive load. Yes. And trust me, they're not managing nearly as much as you are. So they have cycles to spare. And there's more of them most of the time. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yes. way more, way more compute in way there. Way more compute power. Yep. All right. Let's talk about energy management. You don't even have to pay AWS prices for it. Correct. <laughs> don't drift. Come on, <laughs> sorry, we're almost sorry, there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Energy so management close. issues. Yes. All right. What is it? It is the fear that you will run out of energy before the game is done, or that you don't have enough energy to put into this game to make it successful. Yep. Why? might you run out of energy? Woof. There are so many reasons, right? Like here's just some of them. Know that there are more. Firstly, in conjunction with everything else we just said, anxiety eats up energy. So if you're anxious about- eats up a lot of energy. If you're anxious about anything else. Yeah. I will say this because I know this is true for you and I know Mm -hmm. it's true for me. Mm -hmm. When I have been anxious about a certain event Mm -hmm. and that event has come to pass- Oh boy, I just- I will pass out. Crash. Yes, Yes. I will crash out like the energy expended to be this anxious all the way up to the moment has will completely drain me. And for like another day, it will take me to recover. Okay. Yes, yes. It chews through your energy. Um, If you are tired, right? If you just are tired for any reason, you didn't sleep well, you've already been going for eight hours today at this convention, whatever that looks like. Um. That's also energy to keep going, right? Also, the combination. (laughs) Also the combination. If anxiety is messing up your sleep, you are now both anxious and exhausted. And exhausted. And that makes it even more fun. Um, High cognitive load, right? Like if you are, if you were doing a lot of heavy lifting for this game, that can eat up a lot of energy. Um, And it is especially when it gets stacked on top of anything like being anxious about the game that you're running already, or you are already tired because you were anxious coming up to this game. 
right? And then one that has happened to me occasionally at conventions, usually a convention thing, but not necessarily because you might hit a day that everybody's just exhausted, you know, whatever it is. I like to call this the dead fish table, which is you sit down and you start pouring your energy into this game to make it happen, to give it, um, you know, motion and energy and, and, and for stuff to happen. And you're getting nothing back from the table. You put the energy of a thousand suns into the table and the table is a black hole and nothing comes back to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a um, fish table. Absolutely. All right. What are some ways to mitigate it? Um, it depends on what your cause is, right? So for anxiety, breathing, make sure that you're breathing. It sounds so silly, but like for all of us who have anxiety, I know exactly how hard it is to remember to breathe in a real human way. It really does actually, actually help. It just, you don't want to do it when you're feeling really anxious because it'll make you release all of that tight anxiety and your brain's like, no, I can't release it, but it really does actually help. Um, reduce any areas of the game that are giving you anxiety, all the stuff that we just talked about, right? Whatever you can reduce that will lower your anxiety, reduce it. Yep. Take a little bit of time before the game, have a moment of quiet, review anything that you're anxious about, um, whatever that is, so that you Mm -hmm. are like, okay, I've reviewed it. It's not freaking me out as much. I will also say this in general, right? I think it's, it, 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 it applies here. It applies to a few other places. Speak your anxiety, right? You can come to the game table and be like, hey, um, yeah, got a whole bunch of stuff for tonight. I am a little bit concerned um, about running the combat tonight. So if you guys can give me just a little extra help, you know, getting this combat to go smoothly um, or have a little grace as we're running combat, that would be great. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if this is just general fatigue that is already dragging your energy levels down, right? It's easy to say this and harder to achieve it, but good sleep. And I say this as someone who sometimes has anxiety sleep problems to my, my partner over here who has terrible sleep hygiene, just generally, um, sleep as best you can, right? Caffeinated beverages, if you do caffeine and then snacks, which are actually especially important if you are or have been really anxious coming into this game because it just sucks so much of your um, body resources. Don't be scared to snack, right? Your brain runs on glucose. It runs on just glucose. glucose. Give so it, give it back sh- glucose. Give it sugar. Yes. It's give it okay sugar. to give it that Again, back. Obviously, within the limits of your own metabolism right. and I endocrine mean, system and all that, don't you know? Don't, don't correct. Don't but, go wild. But. Um, also, good sleeps can be augmented with good naps, right? Don't forget, yes, like if naps, you can't get if you can't get a full good night's sleep, you can also get a partial nap, like a nap to perk you up or whatever. Yes. Okay. And then the last one is one that I actually do a lot, which is session length, calibrating your session length to your energy level. Right? There is nothing in a book somewhere that says that a session has to be four hours. Not has to be four hours, but we all learned it from we third all, edition. Oh, okay. Was it third edition that did <laughs> yeah. that? Third edition Curse imprinted you, on Watsy. us the idea of the four-hour four session. Hour session. And then conventions took that and they were like, your session is four hours, right? Correct. But as someone who runs two-hour sessions at conventions all the time, I promise you a session does not have to be four hours. And that's true, whether it's at a convention or whether it's at your home group's table, anything, you know, your session should be an amount of time that is comfortable for you to run. And if that is variable, that is also okay. If you have to say to your home group, hey, 
I'm really low energy today. I think we're really only going to get in about an hour and a half of gaming tonight. That is okay, right? Mm -hmm. You know your energy better than anyone else. um, And it is fine. So calibrate that session length and just acknowledge, and you can acknowledge up front if you know going in that it's going to be a shorter night um, or whatever it is, it's fine. Make those adjustments. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, what happens? What happens if you just run out of energy in the middle of a game? Yeah. Take a break, get a snack, run to the bathroom, have some downtime from the cognitive load of running the game. If that's not sufficient, or if you feel like it's not going to be sufficient, it is totally okay to end early. I used to, in my old, in my many, many, many years ago days, I used to run my session. I would run like a five to six hour session, but put dinner in the middle. Oh yeah. So we would, we would play for like two hours and then the pizza would arrive and we would take a break for like almost an hour. Yeah eat pizza, hang out, relax, and then we would play like another two hours. Right. Talk about rejuvenating. You did all the things. You took a break. You gave the brain the food. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And just stuck it right in the middle, like right in the middle of play. And it was fine. Um, So yeah, you can consider like that's a way to play. Like if you're like, I want to play four hours. I just can't go four hours straight. Yeah. That's a way to deal with it. Like insert a meal right in the middle of it. Cool. Okay. So look, we did our best to try to address a a bunch of different anxieties. We by no means came up with all of them, um, nor did we come up with every solution for every one of these, but we took a, I think a good college try at all of them. (laughs) Um, So what I'm going to say to you is if we missed one and it, even if we covered one and you want us to answer it a different way or address a specific thing or whatever, whatever you have as an anxiety when it comes to uh, the tabletop, if you want to send it to us and we'll talk about how to do that in a second, we will keep working on this. Like we will just, we will come up with more ideas to help you because we do actually want you to be less anxious about running your games. And since we can't address every one of them, just you're going to send them to us and we're going to help out as much as we can. So I'm going to ask Senator to talk about another show on the network, and then I will, we will explain to you how you can let us know. Yeah. Well, you can also, on the Misdirected Mark Network, listen to Thacko with Advantage, on which Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D more specifically. Together, they share their insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. And maybe they'll even tell us why, why is it four hours? And Jared, why, why is it? Why four right. hours? Why did they do that? <laughs> right, I don't exactly. even, here's the thing. Third edition D&D is like the only book that I read cover to cover and I thought I knew really well and I didn't know that from that book, which is totally the recall thing, right? But like, why, why? We're in the book. Oh my God, I have to go find it. I'm mad at them now. Yeah. It's, um, again, I don't know where it came from. Um, I mean, it seems reasonable, like play a four hour session. Sure. I don't think they, it by no means, and don't anyone get on our case about this. It was not like they mandated you had oh, to play four hours, right? It. Yeah. it was, it was just a like suggestion, suggestion. of the four hour session. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I think it had to do with like, um, I don't know, encounter levels, experience points, rate of leveling up. Like, like you should be playing this much game to get this much XP to, you know, advance this far kind of like there's there's a formula for that, right? Like, oh, yeah, 
well, let's not get too far. I, I don't want to get We're off the weeds. Yeah, we should wrap know. this up. We're really long. <laughs> Yeah, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda, which has links to all of the social media that we are currently on, as well as our email address, and basically any way that you could possibly ever want to get a hold of us. And Phil, once they have that information and find us in one or many of those places, what can they do with that information? Yeah, by all means, just what I said before, send us stuff like send us questions, comments, things that you are you have anxiety about, whatever it is, we want you to send it to us because we want to help. And the way we help is you send in a question and we apply our many decades of knowledge um, of running games, designing games and giving GMing advice. We will distill all that down to some hopefully usable advice to make you play and run more better games for the obvious reason that the more you do this, the longer you'll stay in the hobby, the more fun you have and the more benefits from this hobby you will gain. Yeah. We want you to have that. So send it to us and we'll get to work. Now, if you like what we're doing here elsewhere in the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get access to the Slack Room for Life. Um, you can hang out with us on Fridays on our Friday call. You can um, access some of the um, upper tiers where you can see the children, the shroud material, and you can see some of our design material. Um, that's all cool stuff. And we would love to get to meet you and get to know you. If you are already backing our Patreon campaign, thank you very much. If you're unable to back it, we totally understand there's a thing you can do involves a little bit of your time. And we know because it has directly benefited a number of you that you can do this one thing that helps us out. That's also actually a huge help for us. What's that thing? Yeah, you can uh, let someone else know on the social media of your choice. When you see someone looking for an RPG podcast um, that is talky and not an actual play and is maybe system agnostic, hey, we're here for you. We're here for all your tabletop advice needs. Um, So let them know. Or you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, wherever that happens to be. Those new reviews and ratings and all of that stuff um, actually do help people find the show in various places because it helps with the algorithm. Say, Senda, what can we do to kind of lower the anxiety about tonight's game? Um, I'm just kidding. There's no anxiety for tonight's yeah, game. Yeah, I was We're like, pretty, what am I anxious about? Make, an, make up an answer so we can go to no, the music. No, what I'm anxious about is climbing oh. the walls to get into the castle. I don't know if it's going to work or not. That's a good point. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Yeah. Clicky! Woohoo! Clicky! Welcome. Clicky, clicky. Oh. There you go. Sorry, that was the sound effect of me tightening the uh, tightening the the thingy. The, no worries. <laughs> the thingy on my microphone stand. What is that called? The I don't know screw knob, <laughs> knob screw, knobby do, knobby dealy do. Mm, got me.
Okay. <laughs> we are, we're moving along rapidly today, Ryan, because um, we had a little delay in getting started and I still want to take a nap this afternoon and we're just going to be, we're just going to have a neat, prompt and orderly start uh, to our episode. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Okay. Let us get all synced up for Ryan. Mm-hmm. Let me just get settled in. Yep. Uh, Hi, Ryan. Oh, well, we all get more. wiggled around and like mics adjusted and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Okay. There we so go. Tighten the deal, you nobby do. Uh, I don't know if the, hang up. Uh, nope. <laughs> Mine was good. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> all right. No, no. We're good now. Okay. Are okay. you ready? Ease. All right. Let's sync up. Okay. It's cold enough here that it's possible my heat will come on. And that was not present in that moment of silence, but we will forge ahead. Okay. I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. I think my mic is directional enough. It doesn't usually pick up that kind of thing, which is why I've been using this one. Bloop. I don't know what response there was for me left in there except for just yes. Yeah, no, you did great. (laughs) (laughs) If that's all that's required of me, I feel like I'm just going to nail everything. I'm going to insert an announcement right here that we forgot at the very top of the show, and I hope that people still hear it because we are most of the way to the ending. Good luck. I know, right? I'll put it in the show notes too, but hey, by the way, while I have your attention, cool. Now, we should have said that at the top. Hey Ryan. Hey Ryan. Can you can you cut this in to the top? <laughs> I would have said it a little bit differently, maybe. We'll but... say it now. Oh, okay. Bloop. There, see, that was easy. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. I should have written down the timestamp, but I was too busy talking and I didn't. Bloop. I should update my character sheet. <laughs> Show, Show me what you got. got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. 